means you're listening, and I'm glad of that, but it also means that you're holding me accountable. Knowing that you're going to have questions, I had better be spending the week in study and in prayer in preparation for when I stand up here to bring the wonderful words of life to you. Not only do you challenge me, uh, but folks, you hold me accountable. Knowing that you're going to show up Sunday after Sunday, you're going to be searching the scriptures, causes me to be accountable. And here's what I don't want you to ever do. I never want you to cop the idea that, well, our preacher said it, therefore it must be true. I don't want you ever to do that. I want you to search for yourself to be the Bereans that God has called each and every one of us to be as you study God's Word. So this morning, this message is in response to a question that I was asked uh, last week concerning the message that we had on the, on the Holy Spirit. Now, during that sermon, I made the comment that the Holy Spirit will definitely be here during the tribulation. And the traditional position, and I don't know how that ever came to be because I don't think it's scriptural, but the traditional position on that is that when the church is raptured out, well, because we're being caught up, well, the Holy Spirit's going to leave this place too, and nothing could be further from scriptural truth than, than that teaching. So we're going to be looking at that this morning, uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit after the rapture of the church. Uh, after we, the body of Christ, we have been called up to meet the Lord in the air, we have been caught away, uh, what is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? The traditional teaching is that it is the Holy Spirit that has been restraining uh, the beast from coming on the scene, that, uh, that when the Holy Spirit is caught up, that it's his absence that's going to cause the beast to be unleashed on the earth, that the Holy Spirit is the great restrainer. Uh, but I got news for you. Holy Spirit is not going anywhere uh, after the rapture of the church. As a matter of fact, his vital role after the rapture of the church is to bring comfort to those tribulation saints, those who are going to believe in Christ Jesus, the Messiah, who are going to be responding to the gospel of the kingdom that's going to be preached by the two witnesses, and then the millions who are going to believe that Christ is the true Messiah, uh, in contrast to the beast, the Antichrist, that's going to be on earth during that time, and the millions who are going to be looking to him and the one world government and the one world church and all that it's going to be proclaiming. But the Holy Spirit is going to be active on earth during the tribulation uh, comforting those tribulation saints. So, my questions, three, I have three questions that I want us to answer this morning. Three questions. Why do I believe the Holy Spirit is going to be on earth and remain after the rapture? I think that was pretty much the question that was asked. What is restraining. God's Word talks about something that is restraining the beast, the Antichrist. What is it? And who is holding fast? So three questions. Why do I believe the Holy Spirit's still here? 
What's restraining the beast? And who is holding fast until he be taken out of the way? And as I preach this, I want us to understand that the rapture of the church could take place at any moment. I know I say this a lot, but I, if you're not ready, folks, you need to get ready. Because I believe with every second that ticks by, we are closer and closer to that event that God's Word calls our blessed hope. When Christ comes and returns for the church, be ready. And I pray this morning that you are ready. And the way to be ready is by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing that He died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. By faith, accepting that free gift that God offers to all who believe. Understanding that it's not by works of righteousness that we've done, but by His mercy, He saves us. And we need to come to the point, if you've never trusted Christ, you need to come to the point where you realize that Christ Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that no man comes to the Father but by Him, that there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved except in the name of Jesus Christ. So if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior this morning, let me encourage you to do that before I'm finished preaching because the rapture could happen and you could be sitting here in an empty church wondering what happened and your next question is going to be, uh-oh, what's next? What's next? You, you don't want to be left behind. Let me assure you of that. You do not want to be left behind. So take your Bibles this morning and let's turn the Second Thessalonians, chapter two. Second Thessalonians, chapter two, starting with verse one. Now it's interesting, and I think very telling, that First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians, which are the first two books that the Apostle Paul wrote through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And both of these two books deal with what? The coming of Christ, the rapture of the church. I think that's significant. See, they were suffering persecution. They, they believed that the return of Christ was near. And I think it's scriptural to believe that the return of Christ is near and to be ready for it. That's what they were believing. That's what they were thinking. Those were the questions that they had. The first two books that the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote concerning the rapture of the church, he wanted to make sure they, they understood that. It was dealing with the coming of Christ. The first book of Thessalonians, he deals with the fact and shares the good news with them uh, in 1 Thessalonians 1.9 that, that we have not been appointed to wrath. All those in favor of that being the case, say aye. Aye. No, we, you do not want to be part of the wrath of God that's going to be poured out on earth during the tribulation period. God's, God's Word tells us that we, the church, the body of Christ, we've not been appointed to God's wrath. And we find that in our study of the book of Revelation. And did I mention we're doing that on Wednesday night? Well, we are. Y'all come. It, this is a great study. We're going to have a great time studying that. But as we study the book of Revelation, we're going to find that the full wrath, undiluted wrath of God is poured out during the tribulation period on the ungodly. And once it is poured out in its entirety, there is no more wrath of God. 
So that's, we understand from Scripture that it's being poured out during the tribulation, and we have not been appointed to that wrath. Therefore, we're not going to be there during the tribulation. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 tells us again, or 5.10, we, we have not been appointed to wrath. Paul makes sure that that church in Thessalonica understood, you've not been appointed to wrath. You're not going to go through the tribulation period because it's the tribulation period that experiences the full wrath of God and literally the wrath of Satan via the beast, the Antichrist, during the tribulation period. But back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him. Folks, that's the rapture. Paul's making sure they understood that. I beseech you, brethren, that by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word, neither by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Now, somewhere along the line, the church in Thessalonica had gotten a letter from somebody that had said they were already into the day of the Lord. And that would be extremely frightening when you consider what the day of the Lord is all about. The day of the Lord is the tribulation period, the time of Jacob's trouble. God's Word tells us in Daniel 12, 1, that there's going to be a time, that that day of the Lord, there's going to be a time such of, of such persecution and such stress as has never been on the face of the earth before. Christ reiterates that in Matthew chapter uh, 24, verse 21. He talks about the tribulation is going to be a time such as the world has never experienced before. And so here, this church in Thessalonica had gotten a letter or had gotten word. Somebody had said, ah, the rapture's already happened. You're in the day of the Lord. Oh, that is going to be a horrific time. Look at uh, Isaiah. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 13, verse 6. Isaiah 13, verse 6. And there are so many scriptures that we could use to support exactly what all is going to be going on in the day of the Lord, but we're just going to use a couple. But during our study of the book of Revelation, which we have on Wednesday night at 630, uh, we're going to be going into more more scriptures. But look at Isaiah chapter 13, verse 6. How? For the day of the Lord is at hand, and it shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt. And they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them, and they shall be in pain as a woman that travails. They shall be amazed as one another. Their faces shall be as flames. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. If you got a letter saying that you're already in the day of the Lord, and you know this is what's coming next, It'd sort of shake you up, wouldn't it? Well, that's what was going on with the church in Thessalonica. 
um, verse 11 says, I will punish the world for their evil. That's what the day of the Lord is all about. Look at verse 13. Therefore I will shake the heavens and the earth shall remove out of her place and in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of His, what? Fierce anger. It's not going to be a pleasant time. And the church in Thessalonica were led to believe, or being led to believe, they were in the middle of the tribulation, or they were at, at the beginning of the tribulation. Look at Zephaniah, just to follow up with one other scripture, or a couple. Look at Zephaniah, chapter 1, verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near, it is near, it hastens greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man, shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress. And we've not been appointed to wrath. Amen. A day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and alarm against the fence cities and against the high towers. Look, drop down to Zephaniah 2, um, 2, or 2, 1. Zephaniah 2, 1. Gather yourselves together, yea, gather together, O nation not desired. Because the degree bring forth before the day passes a shaft, before the fierce anger of the Lord come upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you. Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness, that it may be you shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. And there are many other verses that have that same that same theme that described the day of the Lord, the tribulation period, the time of Jacob's trouble, Daniel's 70th week as, as being that day of wrath. So the church in Thessalonica had gotten word that it's going to be that kind of, kind of day. What's interesting is as the Lord Jesus was preparing the disciples, what was he preparing them for? In Matthew chapter 6 and in Matthew chapter 10, and we're going to get to Matthew 10 in just a little bit, but it was for the day of the Lord. He was preparing them when, uh, in Matthew 24, he was describing, you know, father against the son and the child against the parents and, and people are going to be betraying one another. He was preparing them, the disciples, to prepare for the day of the day of the Lord. So he, told, he tells him what? He said, I'm going to give you another comforter. See, he had been the comforter up until that time. John 14, he says, I'm going to give you a, another comforter. Um, as a matter of fact, turn to, go ahead and turn to John 14. Look at John 14. Start with verse 16. John 14, 16. And I will pray the Father, 
And he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. Verse 19, well, verse 18, And I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. So the Holy Spirit is going to have a ministry on earth during that period of time to bring comfort to those who are left behind. Verse 20, At that day you shall know that I am in the Father, and He in me, and I in you. Look at verse 26 of John 14. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, during the tribulation, the saints that are going to be alive during that time, they're going to have the book of John. They're going to be able to read these truths. They're going to be able to apply these truths because the Holy Spirit is going to be there leading them, guiding them, instructing them, directing them, during that extremely perilous, perilous time. Look at 1526, John 15:26. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. All during the tribulation, your first three and a half years, you're going to have the two witnesses that God is going to send after the rapture of the church, and you talking about evangelism, you talk about the message, the, the gospel of the kingdom being proclaimed, these two witnesses are going to be active. And then there are going to be millions of people who are going to respond to that gospel of the kingdom message that they're going to be preaching. And the Holy Spirit is going to be there working during that during that time. Um, look at John 16. Verse 8. And when he is come, he will, talking about the Holy Spirit, when he is come, he will remove the world of, reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, we know this is not this is before the church, the body of Christ, the mystery has been revealed. It is still secret, hid in God. What period of time is the Lord Jesus talking about as he talks to the 12 disciples who are going to sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes during the millennial kingdom? What period of time is the Lord Jesus describing? The tribulation. The tribulation. That's going to be the job of the Holy Spirit. Verse 13 of John 16. Verse 13, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you in all truth, for he will not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. Matter of fact, Christ tells the disciples, don't, don't worry about what you're going to say, what you're going to speak. Because the Holy Spirit is going to put it in your heart, in your mind, and the words you speak, they're going to come from the Holy Spirit. And so they have that promise. 
That's what they were expecting. For the Holy Spirit to be active and working during that tribulation period. Now, what's interesting is go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Folks, this is why it's so important that we rightly divide the word of truth. That we understand what is for us and what is to us as we open God's word and as we study. In Acts chapter 1, starting with verse 4. And being assembled together with them, this is the Lord Jesus uh, gathering with the, the apostles before he ascends. He'd been with them for 40 days. He's about to ascend into heaven. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait from the, fa- the promise of the Father. What's the promise of the Father? The empowering of the Holy Spirit. The coming of the Holy Spirit. That is the promise of the Father. Which saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now or hence. You will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. So guess what happens in Acts chapter 2? As they've gathered together to celebrate what feast day? Pentecost. Pentecost means what? 50th. 50th. Well, 50th what? 50th day from the... the uh, Feast of first fruit. You had the Passover, then first fruits, and 50 days from first fruits, that celebration, 50, and 50 just means 50. And so they read that and they go, well, something special, 50 days. So they called it Pentecost. What special event is going to take place 50 days from first fruits? It is the empowering that Christ said he was going to send the, the promise of the Father, another comforter. They're going to need it during the tribulation. That's exactly what's going on here in Acts chapter 2. Um, look at, uh, start with verse 1. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. On Pentecost was the falling, was the coming It was the empowering of the Holy Spirit which Christ said He was going to do on their behalf because what was coming, the tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, was upon them. Prophetically, time-wise, that's what was coming next. See, there was still something that was a mystery that was hid in God, not revealed concerning this present dispensation that we're living in now that just speaks of the amazing grace of God that God is so long-suffering not willing that any should perish 
It's God's will that all men be saved. So what does God do in His infinite mercy and grace? He saves the chief of sinners rather than what was prophesied that was scheduled. What happened here did not take place. It's going to. It's going to take place because God's promises are without repentance. God's not going to change His mind. He's going to do what His Word says He's going to do. But there was something hid in God from before the foundation of the world. And folks, we're enjoying all of that. As we preach salvation by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, we get to preach that glorious gospel of the grace of God. But when this came, they were being, they were being prepared for the tribulation period. Now, Paul says something very interesting to the church in Colossae. He says something very interesting to the church in Ephesus. He says something very interesting to the church uh, at Rome. He talks about something that was kept secret since the world began, that was a mystery and is not revealed until it's revealed now. And we, we've come to understand that the word now means now. It's not revealed until it was re revealed to him. That whatever the prophets were teaching, whatever the prophets had been discussing, had nothing to do with what Paul was proclaiming, that mystery, because the mystery was something hid in God. What the prophets talked about was God's prophetic program for Israel. What God had talked about the, with the prophets had to do with the tribulation the, the, and the promises of God and the kingdom. All of that was what the prophets understood. It's what the apostles understood as they went out and preached the gospel of the kingdom. Well, how do we know this is not the beginning of the church, the body of Christ? Well, because what I just said. Paul said how what that revelation was given to him, it was a mystery, not revealed until now. Well, what Peter's preaching about now is something that was prophesied by the Old Testament saints. One particular saint in particular, Joel. Turn to Joel. And again, all this is so that we know that the Holy Spirit is active during the tribulation period. He is not taken up when the church is raptured out. I don't know why we believe that we have a lock on the Holy Spirit. I mean, we do. I mean, He indwells us. <laughs> Praise God for that. He moves. And we talked last week about all the things the Holy Spirit does in our lives. But for us to think that when we're gone, the, the whole world is going to go, well, there goes the Holy Spirit. Hey, the Holy Spirit has an active role during that tribulation period. But look at Joel. Well, you read the whole chapter 2, but verse 28. Let's go to verse 28. Joel 2, 28. Joel, an Old Testament or New Testament saint? And that's really not a trick question. Old, Old Testament saint. That's right. So the church, the body of Christ, the mystery, had not been revealed to Joel. So whatever Joel is talking about, it's not the church, the body of Christ, right? It's not the coming of the Holy Spirit or for the church. Joel 2, 28. 
And it shall come to pass in the last days that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaiden in those days will I pour out my Spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke, and the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord." And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Joel, the Old Testament saint, is proclaiming this is going to happen during the day of the Lord. Go back to Acts 2. Acts chapter 2. Verse 4 says they're speaking in tongues, bearing witness. Verse 5 says, There were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation or heaven. It's the day of Pentecost. They had to be there. And it lists all the ones that were there. And the guys that were there, they said, Why, these people are drunk. They're drunk. Peter says, They're not drunk. Look at verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken unto my words. For these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it's but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. We just read what the prophet Joel said was going to happen. This was not the beginning of the church, the body of Christ. This was a continuation of kingdom authority. This was a a continuation of prophetic truth to Israel concerning the coming of the Holy Spirit and that tribulation period, and they were going to need a comforter during that time because the tribulation is seven years prior to what event? The second coming of Christ where he establishes his kingdom on earth, where he rules and reigns. That is the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, that the Messiah is going to come. He's going to establish his throne and all the blessings that flow from that. And that tribulation is going to be a time of witnessing and proclaiming that truth. And then Christ is going to come to to earth and establish his kingdom. As a matter of fact, Acts chapter 3 is all about Peter standing and telling them, you, you need to repent in order for the times of refreshing can come from the time of the Lord, from the presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing was another name for the kingdom that's to be established. When the Christ sits, sits up his throne in the midst of them, all of these things were prophesied. Here in early Acts, it was the beginning of that tribulation period. It was, it, it was the birth pangs that Christ talks about in Matthew 24. Prophetically, Israel was being offered the kingdom, but he came into his own. His own received him not. He came into his own, and the, leader, the spiritual leaders of Israel said, we will not have this man to reign over us. So with John the Baptist, we find them rejecting God the Father. In Christ the Son, we find them rejecting uh, Christ himself, God the Son. With Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit, to look upon him, God's word says, was to look at the face of an angel. 
And boy, the message he preached to the, the, the spiritual leaders of Israel, it is right on. And them, instead of them going, oh, we have sinned, oh, we've made a horrible mistake, when he preaches to them, they get angry, they get mad, and they rush upon Stephen, and they stone him, thereby, I believe, rejecting the Holy Spirit. They rejected the triune God. The next event, we see Christ Jesus in Acts 7 standing at the right hand of the Father. Every, and before that, where did we see him? He was seated. Seated being an example of rest, that redemption had taken place. We find him seated at the right hand of the Father. The next thing we hear, he is standing every place without exception in Scripture where the Lord is standing. It is always in judgment. Always in judgment. When Christ was standing, it was not standing to welcome the first martyr to heaven. It was not to say, good boy, Stephen. It was not to welcome the first martyr. He was standing because Israel was about to be judged. But instead of God's judgment, instead of the tribulation falling, what fell was His matchless, wonderful grace as He saved the chief of sinners, one of the very ones that was out breathing the slaughter and killing those kingdom believers. He saves him by His grace and reveals to him this precious message called the gospel of the grace of God that we preach and we proclaim. So the early acts was the beginning of that tribulation, but it was put in abeyance. It came to a screeching halt as God in His mercy revealed that which had been kept secret, not revealed concerning the Apostle Paul, or concerning the message he was going to give to the Apostle Paul. And the Holy Spirit is to be active during that tribulation period. Back to Second Thessalonians. That wasn't supposed to take up that much time. But it's still good stuff. Wow, it's good stuff. So hurry. You can see why they were afraid. Oops, we missed the rapture. We're in the day of the Lord. We didn't understand. Paul says in verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Only one other man in the Scriptures called the son of perdition. Who is it? Judas. Judas is called a son of perdition. And because Satan had entered into Judas, Satan is going to enter into the beast. And that's who is, re is referring to here, as the son of perdition, is the beast, the Antichrist. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, talking about the day of the Lord, shall not come except there come a falling away first. Now, I'm not going to stand here this morning. Oh, we might get into this next week where we talk about that falling away. Uh, does it mean falling away from truth and apostasy within uh, the, the church? And, and boy, we're, we're there. We're there. Or is the word here departure? See, I would love for it to be the word departure because you read it, it shall not come except there come a departure first. That departure identifies as the rapture of the church. I like that. And, and I think next week we're going to explore that a little bit more as we get into the Greek of that, of that word. 
I think it's interesting that Paul was talking about the Lord's coming and us being caught up to be with him and never anything about the falling away and apostasy. He does that to Timothy at the end and he does it to the church in, in Corinth. But boy, here, the whole context was, was the Lord coming back. And I think an argument can be made that the word there is departure. And we'll talk a little bit about that next, next, next Sunday, I think, because I think it's important that we get it. But verse 4, that man of sin, that beast, that antichrist, the one that Satan is going to enter and fill, uh, fill, fill him up, who opposes and exalts himself above, above that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Our study in the book of Revelation is going to show that the temple is going to be rebuilt. And I think at its dedication, that is when the beast is going to go in, and he's going to establish himself and say, I am God, and he commits the abomination of desolation. That's what that's all about. And he claims himself to, to be God. He comes out, he's assassinated, and, and Satan enters him at that point. Verse 5, remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? Well, he was only with them about two or three weeks. And he's, he's writing to them now from Corinth. He was, in, he was in Thessalonica. He was there just a short period of time. He's now in Corinth, and he's writing back to them, to them there. But don't you remember when I was with you? I told you all these things. And the whole topic was the coming of Christ. For now you know what holds fast, that he might be revealed in his time. So telling the church in Thessalonica, you know what holds fast, what holds him fast. The topic is the beast. You know what holds the beast fast. It's not someone. It is something. Something is holding the beast fast fast something is not releasing the beast something is not enabling him to come on the earth and folks if the holy spirit is here and people say well when the holy spirit's gone that gives a green light to the the beast to come on the scene well the holy spirit's a he it's not a what something is holding is restraining the beast what is it well let me tell you what i think it is real quick go to revelation Let's look at Revelation 11 first, since we're running out of time. Revelation 11, 7. This is talking about the two witnesses that are going to be active during the tribulation period. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. The bottomless pit, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit. Look at Revelation 13, verse 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea. And it describes all the seven heads and the horns and all. I'm going to, later on in Revelation, we find that there are four angels released from the pit. Remember, when Judas died, he went to his place. 
the beast is killed, uh, this Antichrist is killed, and then the next thing we see him rising up out of the pit. I think it is the pit. It is the bottomless pit where Satan is going to be uh, chained, and he's not going to be able to get what's restraining the beast is going to be the bottomless pit. He can't get out of that. That's what's restraining him until God the Father allows that to take place. Now you know what holds him fast that he might be revealed in his time. And I believe it's the pit, the pit, the abyss, the bottomless pit. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he, now it gets to be someone, only he who now holds fast will hold fast until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. So Satan is going to be energizing this beast, this, this man that's going to rise up. And we know that, that he is something holds him until someone is taken out of the way and then the beast is released. A lot of people believe it and if this is what you choose to believe, that's good. I don't have an argument with this because either way it fits. Um, some people believe that until he be taken out of the way is the church, us. And we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord that, that what's holding the beast back is the, the bottomless pit, and then when the rapture takes place, and when he who now holds fast, that word letteth, uh, will, will let, only he who now holds fast will continue to hold fast until he be taken out of the way, until the church is caught up to meet the Lord in the air, then the beast is going to be revealed. Then the beast is going to come on the scene, which is good news for us, but we haven't been appointed to wrath anyway, so hallelujah, right? So whether this is the church that's being taken out of the way or what I really think it is. Where is Satan right now? He's not in hell. Hell is not Satan's domain. The last place that Satan wants to be is in hell. God's Word, and since we're out of time now, but God's Word tells us that uh, Satan is before the throne of God doing what constantly? Accusing the brethren. Accusing the brethren constantly. That Satan is before the throne of God accusing the brethren constantly. What I think happens, and, and again, this is one of those things where my preacher says, therefore, you study this on your own. And if you come back and say, Pastor Rick, you are not right, that's okay. We'll talk about it and have a great time talking about it. What happens, I believe, is the church is caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and we take up our position in the heavenlies. Look at Revelation 12. Real, real quick. 
Is there a game today? I don't know. I'm hurrying. This is much more important, folks. This is much more important. Revelation 12, look at verse 7. And there was war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. I think that occurs when the rapture of the church takes place, and we assume our place seated at the right hand of the Father in Christ. And when we, the church, the body of Christ, ascend, that Satan's place is no longer found. Look at Romans 16. Romans 16, verse 20. You wonder how this is going to happen. Romans 16, verse 20. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Who's he talking to here? The church, the body of Christ. That God is, the God of peace is going to bruise Satan under your feet. The word under there, it has to do with crush utterly. It has to do with a, a, a uh, uh, implies legal subjection. Well, what's going to happen, I believe, at the rapture of the church, that we are caught up, that Satan's place there as the accuser of the brethren is no longer found, that we take up our position, and by virtue of us taking up our position, that what he held fast to, what he held on to, is no longer available to him. We take up our position. Uh, Paul to the church in Corinth talked about the fact that we're going to judge angels. And I don't think a Christian is going to be lined up and angel number one comes by and un- number, angel number two. That's not what that's talking about. I, I think that we're going to judge fallen angels and by virtue of our presence in heaven, those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, we're going to be taking up our position. There's no place for, the, for those angels, for Satan. There's going to be war in heaven. When we take our position, Satan and his host are going to flee. Michael and his angels are going to, to do war against them. They're finally going to bind them up. They're going to cast them to earth. Woe to them on the face of the earth, the book of Revelation tells us. For Satan knows that he has but a short time. I think that's what's going on here. I think the one who, I think it's the pit, the bottomless pit, that is going to restrain the beast from coming on the scene until we're caught up to meet the Lord in, in the air. We take our rightful position, and then he who uh, holds fast, holds fast to that position continues to hold fast until he be taken out of the way what's going to cause him to be taken out of the way us as we bruise satan's head under our feet shortly i think that's the good news of what's being declared here let's pray father there's so much more that could be said father Reveal to us the truth. We never want to teach anything in error. We never want to teach anything that's not according to your purpose and your will. Father, we want to be enlightened by your word and how we praise your name that the Holy Spirit indwells us. From your word, his job is to teach us and to guide us. 
And so, Father, right now as we come before your throne of grace, we realize that the Holy Spirit is praying for us with utterances. Father, we thank you for that. And Father, open our hearts and our minds to the truth of your word. May we be Bereans. I pray that every person here will leave with the idea, well, we're going to search the scriptures to see if these things be so. Father, they're not going to be settled because the preacher said it. But Father, we want the Holy Spirit to reveal that truth to us. But Father, regardless whether it's the church that, re, re, that holds him at bay, restrains him, or something else, Father, how thankful we are that we will not go through that terrible tribulation, that day of wrath. But, Father, we'll be caught up to meet you in the air. And I pray that every single person here is prepared and ready for that day. Father, it's getting so close. Now, Father, I pray that if there's anyone here that's never trusted you, that in the quietness of this moment, they will say, Yes, Lord. To the call of the Holy Spirit on their lives and by faith they'll trust that you took upon yourself their sin and that you rose again for their justification Father and we pray all these things in Christ's holy and most precious name Amen